بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وبعد My name is Ubaidullah Evans and uh, today speaking on behalf of Renovatio, uh, the podcast I have the great pleasure of conversing with the scholar of Islamic uh, art uh, and civilization with the particular focus on West Africa, Oludamani, Oludamini uh, Ogunake, uh, who teaches at the University of Virginia, no, the College of William and Mary nope. in, no, wait. University of Virginia, you got it right. Okay, it teaches at the University of Virginia. Um, uh, today we've prepared not quite a wide ranging conversation, but a conversation that I expect to be remote because the tentacles of beauty inevitably spread out uh, into everything. So um, please, I mean, um, uh, Professor Ogunake, um, this topic of beauty, why is it uh, one that you focused on so intently, uh, you know, both professionally and personally? Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much. It's an honor to be talking to you, Ustad Ubaidullah. Thank you very much uh, for having the conversation. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, there's almost nothing better to talk about than beauty. Um, but mm -hmm. part of the reason why I uh, wanted to focus on it, and I focus on it so much in 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 my research and 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 my work, is that beauty is inseparable, particularly in the Islamic tradition, from the divine which means it's inseparable from truth, which means it's inseparable from goodness, which means it's inseparable from justice. But unlike these other things, it hasn't, uh, it's been a missing piece, particularly in modern Muslim communities, mm. uh, modern philosophy. Um, and that missing piece, I think it's part, kind of the thing that ties all these other things together. Mm -hmm. What does what truth have to do with goodness what does goodness have to do with justice? All these beauty brings all of these things together in a way that directly acts on our souls. Oh, wow. mm. Acts on our souls and is directly perceptible. It, it hits you, you know, mm -hmm. beauty hits you and it moves your soul mm -hmm. in, in a very, very powerful way. And so the neglect of beauty, um, particularly in modern times and post-colonial times, I think has been really, really detrimental to communities everywhere. Beauty is not a luxury. Beauty is not a luxury. Beauty is literally the, the air that our souls breathe. Allah, um, beautifully stated. Yeah, beautifully beautiful. stated. A, lot of us, uh, a lot of us, where we live, where we work, the things we're surrounded by, we've been put in really ugly surroundings. Um, mm. and, and so we're kind of gasping for air. And this is why be beauty is a real existential need, uh, not just for our Muslim community, but for people everywhere. You know, one of the one of the things that you know you highlighted uh, in your article on beauty um, that really, really resonated with me. It really struck me, is you said indifference to beauty mm -hmm. is indifference to the divine. Yep. Now, of course, immediately I thought about um, the sacred tradition of the Prophet Muhammad, upon him be peace. In Allah Jamilun, when you Jamal, that God is beautiful. And God loves beauty, but there's there, there seems to be some disconnect or some dissonance because many Muslims who deem themselves quite devout, perhaps even uh, excessively so, quite strident, 
right, in their practice of Islam, they pay no attention to beauty, no attention to aesthetics, no attention to art, sometimes uh, resigning or sometimes, you know, categorizing those things as kind of the unnecessary embellishments of the transitory world. So, I mean, what, I mean, where is this disconnect coming from? I mean, so metaphysically, this comes from an emphasis on Jalal and on Tanzih against uh, Tashbih and Jalal. I mean, Jamal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, metaphysically in the Ashari theology and philosophy and texts of Sufism, mm -hmm. God has attributes of Jamal, of beauty, and Jalal, of majesty. And Jalal, the majestic, is associated more with transcendence. Mm -hmm. And Jamal, the, the beautiful, the merciful, almost the more feminine, like yin yang, mm -hmm. uh, is associated with uh, mercy, intimacy, closeness. Mm -hmm. right? And so you tend to find those uh, Muslims, particularly coming or associated with modernist movements or the Salafia uh, movements mm -hmm. of various stripes, mm -hmm. uh, emphasize Jalal over Jamal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is the metaphysical word. And even then, you also see it emphasize masculinity over femininity mm -hmm. and all, mm -hmm. all of these other, no adornment, all, all of these other things. Mm -hmm. um, so th this is the metaphysical root. The political root of it has to do with colonization and for the rise of this, these, these particular uh, modes of Islamic discourse and practice that emphasize uh, th these, 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 these kinds of things. But um, I mean, it's it's basically like uh, eating the peel of a banana and not eating the not eating the banana. You don't get the lobe. You don't get the, the tasty fruit um, mm. of it. You just you're just concerned with with the with with the outward form. Ironically, just being concerned with the outward form causes you to miss the beauty of the outward form, the importance of the outward forms, the importance of the the beauty of mosque architecture, of dress of calligraphy, of perfume, of all of these different incredible arts that Islamic civilization has developed because what it does is it makes the invisible world tangible. Allah. Mm. It's like, you know, you see these false color images you get like from the Hubble telescope and stuff like that. Right, you know, right, you're right. trying to make right, gamma yeah. rays and microwaves visible somehow. Yeah. That's exactly what the Islamic arts do. They mm. make the alam tangible. They make these spiritual realities tangible to us. Um, you know, it's interesting because I also see there there's this kind of imbalance and this overemphasis of logos over ethos over pathos that it's all about the outward form, mm -hmm. but essentially we've forgotten to beautify the outward form. Yeah. Um, and and in some of these expressions of Islam, it's no wonder that they don't appear to be nourishing human souls, yep. right? It can turn people into ideologues that can parrot uh, treatises of theology, can quote the right books, can mention the names of the right people in order to, I guess, uh, acquit themselves of being properly orthodox. But where's the core? Where's the essence? Yeah, where's, where's the though? Where's the tasting? The taste. Where's the though? Where's the um, experience of it, it? It appears that you know uh, we've forgotten the most essential part of what we're supposed to be uh, recreating, right? You know, um, I, I remember once um, uh, a scholar named Abdullah Edhami was talking about a poster 
that he created when he was in university here in the States um, for Islam Awareness Week, but he said he put great effort into beautifying this poster. And this poster was an invitation to a lecture about the seerah, about the prophetic biography. And he said that he, he really tried to beautify this poster and he captioned the image with the seerah of the prophet relive the magic, right? Mm -hmm. Recreate the experience, relive the magic. And he said that someone marred this poster by writing on it, there is no magic in Islam, <laughs> right? And of course, referring to, you know, legal rulings about the impermissibility of dealing in sorcery and magic and things like this. But the way that he responded, he said, at that point, he realized that for some people, there really is no magic in Islam, mm. right? So, you know, I think your work, uh, one of the great uh, practical, I think, benefits of your work is that it helps us to get in touch with the magic of Islam. Right, that, you know, if I can use uh, such a controversial uh, phrase as magic I mean, in its And, you know, there's a common, in uh, eloquence, there's magic. The poetry is mm -hmm. called sihr. Yes, in the minal bayan, Speech is a form of magic. Right, calling it yeah. the the uluma gariba and all of that other. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, all, all, of, all of those things. Now, something else that really kind of struck me you know, with your work. And I don't know if this is something that you intend as an intervention, but it's certainly something I perceive as an intervention. I think some people, we recoil from conversations about art, from conversations about aesthetics, from conversations about beauty, because these were some of the means that our colonizers used to deem our cultures inferior. Right, that 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 they don't have aesthetics, they don't have a culture of belles lettres or letters. Um, I, I, I distinctly remember passages from Said's, you know, touchstone, right, Orientalism, uh, about you know the, the the Oriental mind needing to impose a kind of order on chaos. This is why the geometric the geometric patterns of utter perfection and symmetry are so important to them. And so I think that some Muslims see a rejection of aesthetics, a rejection of the importance of art as something done defensively to protect themselves from the accusations of people that would seek to discredit them and their cultures. Mm. So the fact that you focus on beauty on art and aesthetics and you focused on islamic cultures i think it's just uh, i find that you know mind-blowing uh, in a very good way i mean usually when your mind is blown it can be bad it can be good but mind-blowing in a very good way are you doing this intentionally i mean i, I i'm not responding that's i mean because it's funny the history is western art took so much from the Muslim oh. world. In modern times, you know, Matisse was inspired by North African art. Mm. Uh, I mean, all the way down to like the the kings of Spain kept, mm. when they were kicking out all the Muslims, they kept the craftsmen in Spain and Portugal because they could make beautiful stuff that nobody else could make in Europe. Wow. 
uh, talk about bell letters. I mean, it's bizarre. Dante, San Juan de la Cruz, all of them heavily influenced by Sufi literature. End rhyme, the whole troubadour tradition. There's no real end rhyme in European literature. The whole European poetic tradition with end rhyme comes from Andalusian singing girls. They were sent to the court of William and Aquitaine. Right after that, the troubadour tradition pops off and that's like the most influential. I mean, so it's it's ridiculous. It's like the, when people say like, like, oh, Muslims don't have any logic. Uh, you, you learned, the West learned a good bit of its logic uh, through translations of Arabic, of, you know, the writings, writings of, of Muslims. So, I mean, that, that was never my thing. I just focused on it because I love it, because it's very important. And because that's what the tradition focused on, wrote about. I mean, the tradition is full. Uh, any any book, if you get any really old book, like Dalal Khairat mm-hmm. or um, Qadi Iyad Shifa, One of or, my favorites. or any of these books, look at the way the book was written. Even in really poor places, people will pay money for a nice leather binding, beautifully hand-done calligraphy, mm-hmm. or even now, photocopies of really nice hand-done calligraphy. Beauty is really important in yeah, traditional cultures. That's, I mean, that's that's just, that's the way it's been. That's a part of the tradition. If we're going to move forward in the tradition in an integral way, um, it's beauty has got to be central. It always has been, and inshallah, it always will be. Inshallah. Yeah, I remember once Dr. Omar Faruq Abdullah was talking to us, and this is what he was talking to us about was actually a, um, you know, um, a doctrine that's pretty central to Islamic legal theory, you know, mm-hmm. jurisprudence. Yep. But he said that human acquisition has three levels. You have the daruriyat, mm-hmm. you know, those things without which life cannot be sustained, right? So if you're thinking Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the daruriyat are at the very base, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have the hajiyat, those things that make life easier. So you know, a refrigerator, air conditioning, uh, uh, transportation, things like that. And then you have the tahsiniyat, those things of beauty. And he said, it is the tahsiniyat that express most vividly who we are, what we believe, those things, as he phrased it, that give us culture. Mm -hmm. And to find that Muslims no longer value those things and instead have filled that space in our experience with mass produced, cheap, uh, disposable, uh, uh, um, I can't even call them crafts. Mm -hmm. In fact, they are properly referred to as products. Mm -hmm. These are products. Um, and, and, And Muslims have come to see that as something in which great pride should be taken. Uh, it is such an admission of defeat. Uh, yeah. It is such uh, a forfeiture of of uh, uh, you know um, an inheritance that our forebears have given us. Yeah, I mean, I would modify what you said though. I would actually include uh, some of the tahsinat among the daruriyat among the nas. Interesting story. I forget if Solzhenitsyn or one of these uh, Russian authors told about in the gulag, in the Russian gulag, these people are barely are taking in enough calories to survive. They would give their food to an old man there who would tell them stories every night. Wow. Subhanallah. You need beauty. You need these stories. 
you need beauty in order to live. Mm. Like our, our souls need beauty, like our bodies need air and food and, and, and water. Mm. We can't live, we can't live without beauty. That's why when they put one of the forms of torture that they sometimes use for people in under various, you know, horrible regimes, they'll put them in solitary confinement. You don't see the sky. You don't see the mm. sun. You don't see it. And after you start to go crazy, mm-hmm. that kind of sensory deprivation, unless yeah. you're a wali Allah and you're connected to the inner beauties of, mm-hmm. of your soul. That, and you, know, that you don't need the outer beauties as much, which which is perhaps a good segue. And I mean, I found your writing very, very captivating. Um, it, 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 it expressed in language things that I had actually been thinking about for many years, mm-hmm. actually. But can you speak about the role of the imagination, yeah. in perceiving beauty? You yeah. know, um, uh, and, and, and how the imagination works in concert with reason mm-hmm. to actually give, you know, faith, mm-hmm. right? Which is an expression of beauty, balance. Yeah. No, it's this kind of the, the linchpin of, of the article and really the linchpin of when we're, when we're talking about the arts. Um, I mean, so basically what Khayal is, is function of imagination, but it's not like just, oh, I think of a unicorn. What right. Khayal is, is it's a function in traditional Islamic philosophy and particularly in philosophical Sufism. It's that which gives intangible meanings, ma'ani, tangible form, mm-hmm. and that which allows you to perceive the intangible meanings in tangible forms, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why in particular, khayal can be associated with the world of dreams. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. dream, in dreams, you have a, there's a meaning, there's a message that takes on a particular form, tangible form in, in, in that dream. So it's kind of the, the world of imagination because it's a whole realm, you know, some oh, Sufi yeah. psychologists, oh, yeah. it's associated with the Alma Malak, the Malakut, the Quranic Malakut, mm-hmm. that's between the world of the intellect and the world of the senses. Mm. Um, and so it's the realm where intangible meanings take on sensible form and where every sensible form has an intangible meaning. In reality, if you really think about it, the whole world is that. Right? The, yeah. the prophet said, the prophet said, people are asleep when they die, they awaken. He said, die, die. So this whole world in a sense is a dream. Mm-hmm. Dream. Mm-hmm. Because everything is an ayatullah. Everything has meaning. Every tangible mm-hmm. uh, thing that we encounter, that we experience has a meaning and imagination is the key to understanding this but it works in ibnarabi and other sufis right that it works in concert with reason reason you know typical a then b b then c therefore a then c is it is good at uh declaring transcendence tenzi mm-hmm. and if you just reason up reason all you do is reason about god you'll come to there has to be some first thing that created everything mm-hmm. but you have no sense of the qualities yes you, you won't there's it, like I said in the article, um, the wajib al-wujud, the necessary existent, isn't an inherently lovable thing. It's like the, it's like the Big Bang. The Big Bang, you can't, you, you don't I mean, love that, right? You, you can reason that it must be all perfect and all beautiful and all these other things like Ibn Sina and the theologians mm-hmm. have done, but it doesn't give you that that sense, that poetic sense of what it's actually like. Mm. You need imagination for mm. that. And imagination, yeah. then that's why, you know, in the language of the scriptures, they come with all of this very poetic language and descriptions mm. about God's love, God's mercy. It doesn't just say God is merciful. It gives you examples of God's mercy. mercy. It tells you stories. It has all yeah. of this stuff to give you the imaginal picture. And the other way in which imagination is key is in the Hadith of Jibril. You know, it says for Ihsan, which also, you know, can mean beauty, beauty, excellence, perfection. 
um, it says to worship God ka'anna as mm -hmm. if you see him, that as if, that ka'anna, yes. that imagination, mm -hmm. that imagination. We've been mm -hmm. commanded to imagine God in the Qibla when we pray. Mm -hmm. We don't have a picture of God there, yeah. mm -hmm. but we imagine, we imagine that we're standing before God. And it's mm -hmm. that imaginalization that allows us to experience the divine presence. And it's mm -hmm. that imaginalization that uh, is really the font, the source of all the Islamic arts that allow us to feel to experience the presence of the divine in recitation of the Quran, in beautiful poetry, in architecture, in calligraphy, in all of these different arts. You know, one of the things that, um, I mean, there was many things, but something that was really, really exciting was this connection you made between a breakdown in our ability to produce genuinely Islamic art uh, and also experience genuinely Islamic art and this kind of virulent sectarianism yeah. that has, you know, because you, you said that perceiving beauty and, and, and going kind of ascending that conceptual ladder of the divine uh, uh, verities of, of, of reality and realization, um, one perceives unity mm -hmm. out of multiplicity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, appreciation for difference and tolerance, you know, almost becomes like the appreciation of a difference in perspective and, uh, you know, and, 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 and light and the way that something is captured. But without that, you know, sectarianism, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, anathematizing, right, takfir, you know, mm -hmm. of other, other Muslims and et cetera, that becomes the result of not having a soul that is refined uh, through art and edip. Yeah, yeah ab ab absolutely. I mean, so one of the things that, at least in the Sufi characterization of aql, of reason here, um, they they use it, it's, it's analytic, it divides, it separates. It's really good at telling you this is different from that. Mm -hmm. And you can see a lot of uh, progress of Western philosophy, analytic, it's, it emphasizes difference. These are the distinctions we can draw between us. You draw all these fine distinctions. You know, a lot of what you learn if you go in higher education is how everything, it's mm -hmm. different historical, political context and how this thing is different yep. from that thing, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, that's due to a kind of hypertrophy of reason and imbalance that you said, compared to what the imagination perceives similarity. Mm. Right? And so, and so it, it's synthetic. It brings things together. It's symbolic. Symbolon literally means to throw together. And it's interesting, it's opposite diabolon is where we get the word diabolical to separate apart, which like right. Arabic would be, yeah, would be, right. would be shatana to separate, you know, right. like, like right. Oh, right. Um, So you need, you need to balance tanzih and tashbih. You need to balance into, Ibn Arabi calls it seeing with two eyes. You see mm -hmm. with the eye of reason and eye of imagination. Mm -hmm. If you just have a hypertrophy of reason, you'll analyze things, God will become very distant and transcendent, and you'll just have all of these differences. If imagination is too emphasized, then it's just all imminence, and everything is kind of the same thing. It's kind of a mish, mishmash yeah. of, yeah. of everything. And so what, what you see in the Islamic arts, is just as with any real traditional art, is you have a balance of both. You have the rigor of mathematics, of, of, uh, of a rigorous philosophy, of all of these things combined with imagination. You you, I mean, you you brought up the the you know I think you termed it 
I think splendidly paradoxical or profoundly paradoxical is the is the is the way that you phrased it. Uh, verse of the Quran, that there is nothing like unto him, and he is seeing and knowing as kind of uh, the embodiment of this idea of seeing with two eyes. Yeah. Right? I thought that was amazing. Well, that, I mean, that's not me. That's Ibn al-Arabi and gener generations <laughs> and generations of philosophers and, and Sufis. But I mean, that you get into the commentaries of that, it gets really deep. Because so the, there's nothing like him. You think that's one way of reading is like that's transcendence, that's reasoning. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like God, right? Reas through reasoning, at least, you know, according to the standard Aristotelian modes, you can come to the conclusion that there has to be a first cause. Sure. Right? And, and that sure. it has to be unique. Right? Mm -hmm. And then... And he is the seeing and the hearing. That's we also see and hear frogs see and hear, etc. So there's mm -hmm. some similarity there too, and it's mm -hmm. combining the two. Mm -hmm. But you can also flip it, um, and there's nothing like his likeness. Is kamithli he, right? Mm -hmm. it, can, it can go again. It can speak to the uniqueness of the human uh, condition, mm. being made in God's image, um, <laughs> which requires imagination to understand that. How can you be created on the form? How can you be created on the form of that which is beyond all form? Mm. Right? That, that requires imagination to understand. You can't just have reason to understand that. Uh, so that part's imagination. And then he is the seeing, the hearing. If you really understand uh, the kind of nature as God as the deep ground of all consciousness, only God sees and hears. Mm -hmm. In the seeing and hearing of everyone, it's actually God seeing and hearing. Uh, through them as God, one of the meanings of right, it's, no, it's, no, no, in, in terms of its depth, it's 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 absolutely tantalizing. I mean, you yeah, can I mean, you can take yep, it there. Yep. I mean, of course, some people say that in that hadith, Khalakallahu Adam ala surati, the aid, the demir goes back to Adam, and some people say it goes back to Allah. There's a, there's a, I mean, there's you know, one thing I appreciate about our tradition is that it accommodates difference we are we've always been um a community of conversation yep. you know and 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 mutually but not incommensurable expressions of orthodoxy yep. see we, we we there are different expressions of what is representative of the will of god but those expressions are not incommensurable you know and that that is i think from the beauty and the edub to, to your beautiful article, article uh, um, Professor, th that's what Edip teaches you, that we can have conversation and we can appreciate views that are not incommensurable, but are not exactly the same. Exactly. No, one of the things, um, I forget, I think it's Professor Bowers, a German professor, wrote a whole book, Cultures of Ambiguity. Mm. About ambiguity, pre-modern Islamic cultures were characterized by their acceptance, celebration, toleration of ambiguity. Yes. Of multiple meanings of yes. a single verse, interpretations of a hadith, mm -hmm. legal positions, uh, mm -hmm. theological positions, all of these different things characterize that. Again, uh, I think going back to this, because there's a combination of reason and imagination, and also having to do with this general cosmology. I mean, even saying the Quran is revealed according to seven ahruf, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The, the different yeah. narrations that are accepted of the you know the whole touchstone of the, the the whole the whole tradition, going back to this cosmology in the Quranic sense, you have the Um al Kitab and then you have the recitation. You have a, this kind of hierarchy of being, in which things are united transcendently at the highest mm -hmm. levels of being, 
and they're manifested in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, so multiplicity and harmony um, are prized at the level of manifestation because they resolve into a higher unity. So you don't try to create a homogeneous unity mm -hmm. at this level because the unity, the Tawheed is under law. It's, it's with God. It's with God, yes. So yes. What you strive for is, is harmony, which is, the, which is the imprint of unity on multiplicity. Yeah. With, you know, speaking of which, I, I, I want, it would be, I think, beautiful. Of course, I, I think when you talk about visual arts, um, the Islamic tradition is most known, although you have Turkish miniatures and you have, you know, there's, a, there's, you know, there's some representational art, but the Islamic tradition is known for calligraphy. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that in Islam, it is the word made into, um, you know, the word in, in, in Christianity, the word becomes flesh. Mm -hmm. So portraiture and, you know, paintings are the highest expression of art, you know, in that, in that, 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 that culture. Uh, whereas Islamic civilization is the word made into text. So the highest expression of visual art in the Islamic civilizational, you know, uh, you know, kind of trajectory, as it were, became calligraphy, yeah. right? Um, um, and it's, I mean, that's just that, I, I, I thought that was a very interesting parallel. Yeah, so you see that this trend across different civilizations. So in Christianity is the word made flesh. So you have st statues and iconography, painting. That's why you go to a European museum, they got a bunch of paintings around. Mm -hmm. In the Islamic mm -hmm. tradition, the highest art is actually the recitation of the Quran. Allahu Akbar. Right? The visual. Mm -hmm. So even in, in English, when we say art, we usually think of visual art for this precise reason, because English is a Western language. Yes. But when the, the most important art in any Islamic community, that which with which you can't do without is a recitation of Quran. The recitation of the Quran. Allah. That's central, you know. You can live your life without being a good calligrapher, but you you gotta recite the Quran. You have to recite the Quran. We all have to recite the Quran, right? right. Um, so the highest starts a recitation of Quran. Then that takes the visual form of calligraphy, um, and then from the calligraphy you have illumination and geometric design and architecture and all these things that come out out of that. But this is also one of I think the reasons why poetry is so much more important and so much more prized in Islamic context than in other contexts as well mm -hmm. too. Because poetry is a kind of an echo of, mm -hmm. of the Quran and the recitation yeah. of poetry and the singing of poetry, you know, oftentimes, mm -hmm. particularly in context of Sufi gatherings, you first recite Quran, recite Adhkar, and then people will sing poetry. So there's a kind know, of flow directly from one. Yeah, some, people are, some people are surprised to learn that some of the greatest philosophers, legist, um, Arabist of the Islamic tradition were accomplished poets, mm -hmm. musicians, mm -hmm. uh, mathematicians. You know, th 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 there was a way in which knowledge was integrated. Yeah. And I think that um, there's something that has happened of late that knowledge has become, and this is in the West and by extension, the Muslim world, knowledge is highly compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. You know, a person now gets their PhD by studying 10 years of the, the late Memluk dynasty it's like you know no one uh is given license to uh theorize even about the human condition broadly and to and to approach um you know the arts and the sciences with a goal of 
you know, synthesizing, but maybe this is because, as you mentioned, there's a lack of imagination, right? There's reason compartmentalizes, reason. There's, there's, there's a lack of imagination, but there's also a lack of, um, it, it has to do with the, the modern, particularly late modern conception of what knowledge is mm -hmm. and what its function is. Mm -hmm. um, so traditionally, and Rudolf Ware has, you know, a lot of great things oh, to that's say. The man, that's the man right there, man. Walking Quran, uh, a lot of other books about this as well, too. Uh, traditionally, knowledge was existential, and the function of knowledge was salvific. The function of knowledge was to take on the beautiful character traits of, mm -hmm. of, of, of God, to take on the attributes, divine attributes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the function of knowledge. That's the function of education, right? With uh, some changes in epistemology and uh, now more or less the function of education uh, seems to be to help you get a job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, that, yeah. With, the rise, with the rise of, you know, capitalism. Capitalism and yeah. things, to produce a functionally literate workforce. Ex exactly. So it's it's narrowed the concept what what knowledge is, and therefore it's narrowed the the pedagogies. Uh, it's narrowed the what what education does, um, and so it's not educating the whole human being. Mm -hmm. um, so because we're not trying to create saints in modern education, mm -hmm. we're trying to create good producers, good consumers, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. maybe good citizens. That's you know. Mm -hmm. That's, that that would be the highest ideal, right? The, high, the highest ideal. But what traditional education of really any civilization is trying to produce are sages and saints. Mm. And that's of education and why it's holistic um, and why it always involves the arts, why it always involves, it always involves literature and stories that teach us uh, through, actually through their own beauty, but also through the beautiful lessons that, that they impart how to live beautifully, how to beautify our souls. Mm. Well, the, 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 I want to shift the conversation to something of contemporary uh, relevance. I mean, we're speaking English. Um, um, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm familiar with other languages, but English is my, is my mother tongue. Um, and I think most English speaking Muslims, at least those that I've um, served in my community work, you know, in America, in the UK, uh, in Australia, I think in South Africa, I think we all recognize the necessity of culture. We recognize the necessity of beauty. Um, I think where we struggle is do we, given our geographic distance and conceptual distance from a thoroughly Islamic, I guess, core, do we have the license, do we have the ability to produce culture that is, 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 is thoroughly Islamic? Or can we only do that by um, uh, recreating some of those older forms? If I if I make myself clear, yeah, I think I mean the, the thing about the Islamic arts is you see when you can kind of tell the maturity of Muslim communities when they start writing poetry, particularly poetry and praise of the Prophet in their own languages, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so every kind of 
I can use this somewhat sloppy term, mature Muslim community has a big poem in praise of the Prophet that people recite at Maulids in yeah. their own in their own language. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes from basically from from people, uh, the greatest art is the art of beautifying the human soul so that it's pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. When you have people with beautiful souls, that kind of beauty flows through them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the, if you have a spiritually healthy community, beautiful art, what makes Islamic art authentically Islamic is its connection to uh, the Baraka Muhammadiyah. So when you have people who are in touch with that, who are completely perfumed and suffused with that, the art will come out of them naturally. Right. Like the early, early Muslims on the Swahili coast weren't really concerned with like, oh, let's our identity. Let's make uh, a uh, mm -hmm. can we can we make authentically Islamic culture? No, there's as Wale Shenka said about uh, the tiger. The tiger doesn't pronounce its tiger to it; it pounces. Yeah. <laughs> right. that's, just, that's just what that's just what they did. That's what they know? did. But I, I think I think, I, I think and so I think the English, the Anglophone Muslim communities, mm -hmm. in pursuing uh real authentic Islamic spirituality, spiritual realization, the art will 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 come from it. It's already started to come in a few places uh here in oh, Alice. Sure. I, mean, I, I know I know many people. Um I, I don't wanna I don't wanna let the cat out of the the proverbial bag, but one of my good friends was working on the definitive poem. He what he hoped would become the definitive poem uh, in Amir praise Suleiman. of the Prophet was in English. Amir Suleiman's. Amir Suleiman, you know what I'm saying? You know, Amir, so. I mean, the, the other thing too is like um, the, the, this. I mean, even amongst the Arabs themselves, right? So you have mm -hmm. all of this uh, Jahili poetry. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have these kind of early profane poets who are still linguistically amazing, like Abu Nuwas, Mutanabi. Yeah, Mutanabi, right? yeah, Abu Nuwas. Um, yeah. Linguistically, um, but they're like today's rappers. They even, right. they even yeah, talk about the same yeah. stuff. I Just killed as many guys. Lyrical dexterity is crazy. Yeah, right. and they even say like I make it rain at the club. Literally, it's the same thing. Abu Nuwas and Mutanabi have verses just just like that. How bad their horses and their mounts are and stuff like that. Of course, of um, but what happens then? The Sufis would take up their poems, and they put mm. a twist on it. And all of a sudden, all of the the like you know this poem about these poems about wine and drinking and getting crunk and whatever, all of a sudden become about divine love, and this whole depth is opened up. Mm, I think what we're seeing with people like Amir Suleiman is the same thing happening, right? We have this whole tradition of hip hop. These guys, the stuff they do lyrically with the English language, I mean, there's nobody compared. Maybe Gerald Manley Hopkins can hold a candle. These guys, but no, nobody else working in the 20th century in English, I think, can really compare to the lyrical dexterity of of these rappers. And what we're having now is we're having spiritually sensitive, spiritually serious people mm. picking up on that tradition and using that the same way people Sufis and others would use the quote unquote profane poetry of Abu Nuwas or Mutanabi. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of Ibn Farid's poems are kind of responses to taking something from Imr al-Qais, taking something from Mutanabi, and you mm -hmm. see people like Amir Suleiman, Baraka Blue, other people doing the same thing with hip hop. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I just want, I just want, I think my question was born out of this recognition that some modern Muslim communities find themselves kind of in a, this bastardized, we don't completely belong to the pre-modern, but we don't feel completely at home in the modern. So our um, self-confidence in terms of that ability to pounce, to create poetry, 
to design massages, to design clothing, to write novels, to create plays, to, uh, we don't feel as though we can do that with integrity because we're worried that whatever we produce is compromised by Western influence, by Western dominance, by Western languages, by you know, a, a certain familiarity with Western cultural norms and forms. And at some point, and this is, you know, I mean, I, I'll let you respond. I think at some point you have to look at your situatedness as the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Suffuse yourself in that Muhammadan barakah that you spoke of and just begin letting your art flow from your soul. Yeah, I mean, so two two things here. I mean, one is, yeah, I mean, the God is to God belong the East and the West. The, you know, the uh, are, are we're supposed to be like travelers in this world. Even the people in Marrakesh in the medieval times, or in Mecca and Medina, this world isn't our home. The rootedness, the rootedness should be in 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 paradise with God. So if if you're trying to root yourself in pre-modernity post-modernity, modernity, this thing, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Like a problem. And the reason why people lack this self-confidence is because they lack a rootedness in the divine presence. And that rootedness in the divine presence only comes from following in the footsteps of the prophet, only comes through the serious spiritual discipline. Now, the thing about the Islamic arts as, as well too, it's not, so for like great inspired masters, they can just create what comes out of their soul just comes out. You know, it's completely fresh and new. Like there's this amazing calligrapher, Al-Qandusi, amazing Sufi calligrapher in, in uh, Morocco, 19th century. His calligraphy style is wildly different. I mean, it has some, you can see some influences from Sub-Saharan African and other calligraphic styles, but he said he had a vision in which the Prophet taught him how to write these letters. Mm. And he, he did. So that, that just comes out of him. But for most of us, just like you want to learn anything, you got to apprentice yourself. It takes you. rigor. It requires rigor. You got to apprentice yourself to a master and you got to work on your craft. Um, and there's no problem in taking things that are influenced by your particular context, as long as what you leave is informed by the discernment of the knowledge of the, these higher realities that you're trying to represent. Mm -hmm. right? There's some Western things that work great with Islam. There's some Western things that have their origin in traditional Islamic culture. Absolutely. There are other Western things that work great and co are completely congruent with it. Other things are great on their own, but they don't necessarily work in an Islamic context. And then other things are just not good. Um, <laughs> which, you know? which, which, which is, which is I, I think, you know, I mean, I didn't, I actually didn't think that you were saying that in jest. I mean, yeah. you know, once we were sitting with one of our mashaykh and uh, it was a group of creatives yeah. uh, working in different, you know, fields of endeavor. And they said, what is the Islamic requirement uh, that we as artists must be mindful of when we create. And he said, the only Islamic requirement is that your work be excellent. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the Islamic requirement. If this is done uh, to glorify God and to represent that, 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 that world of Melakut that you were talking about and to give people access to it as it, you know, to put a, you know, to put a, a veil or a shroud over something invisible as it were, so that it becomes transparent, you have to do so with excellence. You have to do so with ihsan. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I hope that this conversation that we've had, uh, uh, while completely enjoyable for me, I, I don't, you know, th- this is something that I could literally do for days. And I don't ever think that I would get enough of talking about um, the relevance of beauty, the relevance of art, the importance and uh, the imperative of creating beauty and art and culture. I hope that some Muslims are listening and see this as a clarion call to root themselves in that barakah, right? That Muhammadan barakah, and then begin, you know, making some of those meanings visible to people who cannot see them, right? Yeah. Right. Um, we have, we're almost out of time. Uh, I, 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 I would feel remiss if I didn't offer you the last word to say, you know, anything you might, um, you know, be inspired with for the viewers, for the listeners uh, at the, the Renovatio podcast. Bismillah. Uh, so I, I think the, the most important thing is that the highest art, the most beautiful of creations is the perfected human soul. Mm. that's the most beautiful and that that beauty is always connected to love it's always connected to love and love is always the purest motive for anything particularly for our worship you know you worship god as they say if you worship god for paradise or you worship god mm. to be hell that's that's the worship of merchants the real worship is the worship of lovers just for god's sake and that really comes through the appreciation of beauty that really comes through love and the folk the purpose of the islamic arts like any other traditional art is to beautify the human soul to make it uh to be pleasing and well pleased with god that's the highest arts function all of these other beautiful arts come from that state and help facilitate the cultivation of that state and that's that's the point of you know that's the point of everything uh, right now and god as you you know began with the with the hadith god is beautiful and he loves beauty all beauty comes from god all beauty that we see in this world is a reflection of the divine beauty mm-hmm. right, so a beautiful person a beautiful sunset a beautiful piece of music even when we're talking about a beautiful mathematical formula all of these are manifestations signs reflections of of the divine beauty and just as it be rude, if you, you say you love your mother, you love your father, and you step on a picture of him, you know, mm-hmm. or you ignore him when he calls you, when you see beauty in the world and you're indifferent to it, that's indifference to your creator. Mm, mashallah. Man, if we had more time, you know, one of the, one of the, um, and maybe this'll, this, this'll be my little cliffhanger to, you know, get them to give us a part two, inshallah. But differentiating between Mm -hmm. beauty, true beauty, and the hypnotizing, uh, beguiling beauty that, as you mentioned, we see at shopping malls and we see in the the transitory because our souls inherently respond to those things too. You know, you walk past a Cartier jewelry shop and you say, wow, that's, that's, that's really beautiful. But there's a difference between what you're seeing and that jewelry display case and a beautiful sunset that reminds you of Allah. Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. So there's the, the um, yes, I mean, I mean, yes and no in the most literal sense. Yes. And also no. no. Right. Um, 
so yes, in a way that there's a big difference, but it's kind of like, you know, those poor, poor birds you see that fly into a glass because mm -hmm. they see the fly. It's just like that. It's about mm -hmm. how you beauty reflected in that thing. It's not the actual thing, but it's a beauty reflected, beauty reflected in it. In it. Yeah. And if you go into it, there's a reason why people seek heroin or eat Doritos or do all these other things that aren't good. For, there's something in there. Yes. There's, there's yes. some beauty in there. And the beauty that's in there, where does it come from? It comes from God. I mean, from God's side, everything is beautiful. He created the world and everything's beautiful. He created everything beautiful. In order to see it that way, it takes a lot of spiritual discipline. You have to discern between the things that are going to get you to that place in which you can see everything is beautiful and the, and the realm in which we now exist, which is divided between the good and the bad, the licit and the illicit, the things that are beautiful, things that are, I, I think a story really clarifies it. So there's a, it's a legendary story about the great poet Hafez. It said he fell in love, he was like a baker's assistant and he fell in, he would deliver bread and he fell in love to with this uh, woman, this noble woman who we deliver bread to. He's like, I have no hope, so I'm gonna do this chilla thing. I'm gonna draw a circle and pray for 40 days in this circle, mm -hmm. right? You do this and some angel comes and grants you a wish, right? So he draws a circle, stays in it for 40 days, prays. Angel appears to him. Angel's so beautiful, he forgets all about the fine girl in the window. Uh, he wow. And he's like, well, if this angel, and the angel says, what you want? You know, you did your 40 days. I'll grant you your wish. What you want? And he said, well, if you're so beautiful, I can't even remember this girl anymore. God must be even more beautiful than you. So what I want is I want, I want you to help me know God. I want you to introduce me to God. And so mm -hmm. the angel said, all right, I can't do that. But there's a sheikh around the corner. Go meet him and he'll introduce you to God. My, you know, you know, so Imam Vizali talked about this as... Mm -hmm. distinguishing between the substance and the shadow mm -hmm. exactly. a lot of us we're caught in the shadows the heroin the doritos the the diamonds the money the car this is a shadow through which exactly. you're trying to reproduce the ecstasy of exactly. it is not except with the remembrance of god that the heart will really find rest find its rest but those shadows those things is what plato calls the the ladder of love you can start with loving these base things mm -hmm. And that love can then lead to a higher love, to a higher form of beauty, to a higher form of beauty, to a higher form of beauty, finally to the highest form of love for the highest form of beauty. Because really all, all beauty is in, Ibn Mufarad has this great uh, verse in his Qalbi Yuhadithani uh, poem. Uh, it says, if I say each and every passion I have for you, he says, uh, al-malaha, beauty, loveliness is mine. And every beauty, kullu husni fi. Every beauty is in me. Mm. Every beauty is in God. And that is so, that that, love, that you have all forms of love. Okay, look, we're gonna talk offline, but this is a great place to stop the conversation officially. Um, thank you for tuning in, and 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 we look forward um, to seeing more of you in the future at Renovatio and uh, Olu Domini. It was an absolute pleasure, Habib. It was Likewise. an absolute thank pleasure, you, you know, to, to talk about beauty for the, with a, with a beautiful brother. Mashallah. Likewise, likewise. As they say, it's your light. It's your light. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.